Weston Harris is a PhD student at the University of California and a doctoral research affiliate at the Kathmandu University Center for Buddhist Studies. We all know it, probably the Rangjun Yeshe Institute. He's also a yogin and a translator in the tradition of Indo-Tibetan Buddhism and uh, also goes by his Tibetan name, Singer Jayam. Weston studied South Asian art history at the National Museum Institute in New Delhi, India, um, Buddhist studies at Delhi University, and received um, a degree in social cultural anthropology from the University of California, Davis. His dissertation research combines textual, art historical, and field site methodologies and examines life stories of the tantric Buddhist adept known as Virupa. Um, who is not only revered in Tantric Buddhism, but also in the Nata and the uh, Orthodox Hindu traditions. Um, he's analyzing Virupa's life stories and artistic representations in Tibetan and Sanskrit, Tantric Buddhist and Nata sources from South India, Nepal, and Tibet, and argues that hagiography is a valuable um, historiography regardless of the relative historicity of the actual narrative. and will provide a rare historical window into the evolution and reformulation of Buddhist practices and ascetic communities. Weston, welcome. Thank you, thank you. It's nice to, nice to be here. Let's see if I can uh, live up to that wonderful introduction. Huh? <laughs> here we go. So uh, as many of you are probably familiar with the figure of Virupa, but just quickly, let's sort of go over some of the main key points here to, so we can all get acquainted with the figure, right? So Virupa is enumerated among the lists of 84 siddhas in both Buddhist and non-Buddhist lists. We have a number of extant works attributed to Virupa or Virupas. Um, of course, we have the Amrita Siddhi, which uh, Mallinson calls the Hatha Yoga's uh, tantric Buddhist source text. We also we also have a number of works in the Tenjur, uh, Vajrayogini, Chinnamasta related, also Raktiyamari, the Amrita City stuff, some Dohas and Charyagitis. Um, we also have some um, Virupa related work in the uh, Sakya Lamdre tradition. Um, so also some visionary works of Sachen, um, sort of having visions of Virupa and, and uh, writing based on that. And of course, um, in Sanskrit, uh, we also have a number of extant works other than just the Amrita Siddhi. I found um, some Chinnamasta and also here in Nepal in National Archives, there's a praise of Ugratara attributed to a Virupaksha as well. We'll get into sort of the question uh, or the issue of Virupa, Virupas later. Um, so this Virupa is an enigmatic crossover figure revered by Buddhists, Shaivas, Shaktas, Vaishnavas, Brahmanical Hindus, sort of alike. He's featured in numerous Navnata lists, which are lists of the nine Natas, which are sort of um, credited as being the, the founders of the Nat sect, though, as we will see later, exactly what constitutes the Nat sect or a Nat in the first place is kind of fluid and difficult to pin down. Um, and sort of uh, many of his hagiographies, even Tibetan and Buddhist hagiographies, sort of play on this sectarian ambiguity. Um, so he's in, you know, in various stories, he's said to or positioned as the chief of 500 uh, Hindu sadhus and he uh, holds a, a Pragyaparamita text either in his, in his robes or in his hair so that when all the other sadhus are bowing to Shiva, he can of course um, bow to the Pragyaparamita. 
in other hagiographies, uh, the local people wonder, is he a Buddhist? Is he a Brahmin? Is he Shiva himself? Who knows? And in, in at least one uh, version, he claims to actually be the elder brother of Mahadev himself. Um, so there's this kind of interesting sectarian ambiguity in the text, in the hagiographies, I should say. Um, one last interesting note is that a number of the deities, uh, the deity lineages with whom Virupa is associated, namely Chinnamasta, Ekajarta, or Ugratara, uh, Dumangari, or Dumavati, as well as Kali, whether you want to take that as Mahakali or Krodikali, they're both lineages are associated with Virupa. All four of those goddesses uh, later appear in the Shaiva Shakta collection of Dasha Mahavidyas. Um, so whether or not, of course, uh, the, the similarity in name is actually proof of being the exact the, the same deity is a, is a separate question. Uh, if you're interested in that, I would refer you to Shin's um, 2018 work on the top on the history of the Dasha Mahavidyas. However, having given a sort of historical introduction here, I'm actually not all that interested in the question of a historical Virupa or Virupas. Rather, I'm more interested in the question of Virupa or Virupaksha as a literary character, particularly following uh, Appleton, um, Appleton's actual application of Black and Gein's notion of the four features of a literary character. These four features are stability, that is the recognizability of a character despite appearing in different contexts, flexibility, that is the adaptability of the character to local concerns of different communities at different points in time, intertextuality, that is the use of character themes and motifs from other texts related to that same character, and the demonstrability, that is the character's ability to demonstrate particular ideas or positions, whether they be theological, social, hierarchical, ethical, polemical, etc. The fourth uh, category there is actually really interesting and a major point of my dissertation. However, in the space of time that we have here, I, I might not really be able to dive into that. So we'll really be looking at Virupa's stability, flexibility, and intertextuality between Tibetan Buddhist and uh, South Asian and non-Buddhist sources. So my main thesis here, oh, and sorry, I should say one thing um, on time. Please do let me know. I will try to be good about um, about trying to stick to the stick to the schedule, but I get excited sometimes and ramble. So please, please keep me on time. Okay. So my main thesis here uh, tonight or today <laughs> is that based on the Black and Gein, or Black and Gein's notions of the notion of the four features of literary character, I'm going to argue that the Virupa of the Tibetan hagiographical tradition and the Virupaksha or Virupakshanath of the South Asian narrative tradition are indeed the exact same character. They sort of constitute a shared cross and sectarian narrative corpus stretching from South India to Tibet and beyond um, with shared plot points, themes, motifs, tropes, etc., as well as shared iconographic vocabulary. That said, the iconographic and visual element is extremely important to the Virupa tradition as well as to my dissertation. However, again, for the sake of time, we might not be able to get into that, but just to sort of uh, reference that a little bit, I've tried to include some nice images just to sort of get the, the whole sensory experience. Now, this thesis might sort of be uncontroversial to some folks in yoga studies. For instance, Mallinson has recently in 2019, I think it was, written uh, Kalavanchana and the Koken and, and sort of it's 
quite clearly shows that, um, but briefly shows that Virupa and Virupaksha sort of share a, a literary tradition. But within, within Tibetan studies more broadly, I am frequently asked, yeah, but how do you know, how can we be sure that Mallinson's correct? How can we be sure that Virupa and Virupaksha slash Virupakshanat are indeed the same character? And so tonight I want to sort of settle that once and for all. Secondarily, oh, what? let's see here, okay. Um, my sort of secondary theses or objectives here is that I, I would like to present Virupa or Virupaksha as a case study revealing the vast Indo-Tibetan cross-sectarian dialogic nature of the Siddha narrative corpus. I want to present Viru the, the Indo-Tibetan Siddha corpus as a more accommodating alternative to Munoz's notion of the threefold knot canon. As many of the texts about so-called knot siddhas are not strictly written by or even for knots, however that notion of knothood may be defined. Um, I would also like to address the underappreciation of Tibetan and Buddhist sources and not and yoga studies sort of more broadly. Um, I would like to bring to light a number of previously unrecognized and or understudied South Asian Virupaksha narratives. In, in, uh, in that endeavor, we'll add to Mallinson's 2019 list of known non-Buddhist texts that mention Virupa. And finally, I'd like to shed new light on, the, we'll sort of get to this at the end, hopefully, shed new light on enduring debates about the sharing sort of substratum versus borrowing models of Buddhist Shaiva exchange. So it, it, being that my thesis is that Virupa is Virupaksha, to sort of, before we get into the nitty gritty of the textual stuff, just to come right out with it, I know of at least two places in which the Virupa of Tibetan lore is explicitly associated with the name Virupaksha. Um, both are associated with post 14th century Indian Buddhists who journeyed to Tibet. So we have in Shariputra's uh, Sri Virupaksha Vikata, the diacritics here are based on the Tibetan uh, transcription of the the title, so they might be a little bit interesting for those uh, Sanskritists out there, um, aka the Peldin Birwape Nampar Tarpa. And so in this case, uh, in the beginning of the text where it describes, you know, in Indian, in Indian language, the text is such, and in Tibetan language, the text is such. Here in the titles themselves, we see in one we have Virupaksha, and in the other one we have Birwapa, which is a common Tibetan um, way of transcribing the name Virupa. Another uh, another such text is Vanaratna's Marmopadesha. And so we have a, a little screenshot of that text here. Um, this is an interesting text that uh, seems to be a sort of um, Tibetan Lamdre-esque lineage that um, sort of enters back into the Indian fold through Vanaratna. And so we have a number of interesting transcriptions of Tibetan names or translations of Tibetan names into uh, Sanskrit. But here, of course, we have the Virupa of the Lamdre tradition being written as Virupaksha. But to get more into the nitty gritty of it, uh, I'd like to introduce the Tibetan narratives that we'll be looking at tonight. So we have, of course, Abhaya Datta's Chaturasiti Siddha Parviti, uh, which, of course, the uh, Tales of the 84 Siddhas, also known as the Drutap Gyechut Sashi Logyu, 
we also have Pakmo Drupa, Dorje Gyalpos, and Drakpa Geltsin's sort of Birwape Logus, or hit stories, histories of the of uh, Virupa. These texts, uh, these two texts, there are some very important differences between them, so I, I, I don't want to gloss over that. However, tonight, for the sake of sort of broad stroke um, narratological comparisons, they're very similar, and so I'm sort of putting them, combining them together. But again, there are some important differences that I do want to um, sort of acknowledge at first. We also have the text that I just mentioned, that is Shariputra's Sri Virupaksha Vikata, that is the Paldan Birwape Nampartarpa, the complete liberation or the story of the liberation of uh, Sri Virupa. And then, of course, we have Gulotsawa's Blue Annals, or Depter Numpo, and Taranatha's uh, Seven Transmission Lineages, or the Kabab Dunden. This is, of course, not an exhaustive list of all of the Tibetan texts that um, contain uh, mention or, or narratives about Virupa, but these are some of the main ones that I'd like to touch on here. So looking at the tales of the 84 siddhas, that is the Chatur Asiti Siddha Pravitti. Um, so in this story, Virupa is a monk at Somapuri. Um, he throws away his rosary in discouragement at not having signs of, of, of um, accomplishment. A vision of Vajrayogini re-inspires him to take back up his practice. Uh, we also have a, a important theme that we're going to see, especially when we get into some of the South Asian texts, this uh, theme of bird eating, of eating of birds. Um, we also have the expulsion motif, right, that he's this sort of um, despised figure that gets expelled only to then be vindicated and revealed to be a great master. Uh, we have the scene in which he reverses or splits the Ganga so that he can walk across sort of saying, oh, I'm this hideous, wretched one, like, you know, just you don't want your waters to touch me. So splits the Ganga and walks across. We have, of course, the famous tavern scene uh, in which he uh, stops the sun with the famous gesture in order to continue drinking alcohol, only to uh, eventually sort of force the king to pay his bar tab in order to release the sun. Uh, we have the theme of him breaking the linga. In this case, in the, this particular text, it's described as being in the land of Indra. That's an important point that we'll see also come up in one of the South Asian texts we'll get into later, this notion of land of Indra or Indra direction. Um, this is the text in which he identifies himself as Mahadeva's older brother, right? He says, that in what tradition does the elder brother bow to the younger brother when a king is trying to force him to bow to Shiva? And of course, he goes on to tame some demonesses. So you'll notice that as we go through this, a number of these words are in bold. Some of the, these bold words are some of the key themes and motifs as we compare these different stories that I really want to draw attention to so that you can see how they sort of appear in all of these different texts. Now in um, Drakpa Gyaltsen and uh, Pakmo Drupa's Birwape Logyu or the uh, Lama Gyalgrawe Logyu, we have Virupa as a monk at Nalanda, in this case, instead of Somapuri. Again, he throws away his rosary in it being discouraged at no signs of accomplishment. This time he has a vision of Nairatmia. Interesting, this is where the first place where I've seen the introduction of Nairatmia and the relationship with the Hevadra Mandala, which of course is so important to the Saki tradition and their Lamdre. Um, of course, then we have the expulsion motif. He's kicked out. In this case, we really see this emphasis on sexuality and the presence of women. Uh, again, he reverses the Ganga. This is the story in which we get this question, oh, is he a Brahmin? Is he a Buddhist? Or is he Mahadev himself? 
Um, again, we see bird eating, <laughs> eating birds and bugs along the way. And everybody's like, oh, you're so gross. And he's like, and then he brings them back to life. And he says, you know, oh, if I eat the bugs and birds, you call me gross. And if I bring them back to life, you call me gross. So you know, what, what, what can I do? Uh, we also have the famous tavern scene again, this drinking alcohol to, and stops the sun has the king pays bar tab. We also have the breaking of the lingam uh, scene. In this case, this is the first Tibetan source in which that site is explicitly identified with Bhimeshwari and Draksharama. This is also an important identification when we start looking at some South Asian texts. He, uh, we see him taming kings, demonesses, and blood sacrificers. There's also this interesting Avalokiteshvara connection, with, which will come out in the South Asian text as well. Avalokiteshvara sort of says, you know, like, oh, don't be so harsh in the way that you tame beings. And he says, okay, let me just go to Somapuri and tame, uh, sorry, uh, Somanatha in uh, Saurashtra and tame one, <laughs> one last being in the, the sort of, you know, harsh, hard knock way. And then, and then I'll be, a, I'll be a sort of peaceful and nice. And uh, we see him dissolving into a stone image at Somanatha. Um, uh, I, I believe it's at Somanatha, but at the end he dissolves into a stone image. All of these, these last points will come out in a number of South Asian texts, particularly this one from Nepal that I have found. In Shariputra's Sri Virupaksha uh, Vikata, we see the introduction of a very, very, very important set of motifs that sort of define actually many of the South Asian texts. And this is this introduction of the idea of the great sin, the Mahapap, uh, particularly incest. In a number of, of the South Asian texts, as well as some of the Tibetans, there, there's this notion that um, Virupa is born and, and is prophesied to commit these great sins, including um, uh, maternal incest being one of the main ones, also alcohol, cow killing, brahminicide as well. I also would like to uh, sort of make a shout out here to Silk's uh, 2005 work on incest in uh, Buddhist in uh, the Buddhist literary tradition, which has been a huge help in my research. However, I can't really dive as deep into the incest motif and the connection with the Mahadev and Dharma Ruchi incest narratives as I would like to, but I would at least like to sort of make an aside there. So having uh, this, having committed maternal incest and these other horrible, horrible crimes, he seeks a guru in order to cleanse his sins. And in this case, in this text, he finds Jalandhara, uh, another uh, Buddhist or Siddha enumerated in Buddhist lists that is also associated with the Nat tradition. Uh, he finds Jalandhara in a place in, that's written in the Tibetan text as Kundali. Now remember this, this name of this site. This is important for one of the South Asian texts that we'll look at later. Um, John Dara gives him instruction on uh, Vajrayogini as Chinamasta. Again, here we have some connection with extant um, texts uh, associated with Virupa and Chinamasta. He throws away his rosary, discouraged. John Dara re-inspires him. He has a vision of Vajrayogini, tames kings and blood sacrificers. And of course, we have the Avalokiteshvara connection again. So here, although we see the introduction of this important incest motif that after the sort of 14th century, I believe it is, becomes so defining for Virupa, we also see important um, points that harken back to some of the 12th century uh, Tibet, uh, uh, 12th century sources like uh, Abhayadatas, Drakpagelsons, and Pakmodrupas, that is like the throwing of the rosary, the becoming discouraged, etc. 
in uh, in the Taranatha's text. Again, we have the similar sort of incest narrative, but split between Virupa and Kala Virupa, which is supposedly a disciple of Virupa. So we see many of the same exact motifs between uh, the 12th century and then the 14th century text, um, but split between Virupa and Kala Virupa. I'm going to go a little bit quicker here so we can get through all the content. And finally, in the last Tibetan text that we're going to look at here, that is the Blue Annals, uh, we see this interesting story about an Erapati or an Elapatra. So an associate with the Mogapasha lineage of Avalokiteshvara, we see this great sin motif. Um, he accidentally, kill, or accidentally kills his mother, meditates on Amogapasha, drops his rosary in discouragement, a vision re-inspires him. And, uh, this figure is said to go on to become a, a guru of Virupa. So we have similar kind of narratives being associated both with a supposed guru of Virupa as well as a disciple of guru, Virupa. Um, a little aside, Virupaka and Erapatha are both uh, both appear in the Pali Canon as names of snakes. So um, there is that a coincidence or is there some association or a misnaming in the blue annals of Erapatha or Elapatra as, as Virupaksha, sort of getting that mixed up? I don't know. Now, some of the geographical sites mentioned in the in the uh, Tibetan texts are important because we see at these exact same sites. Actually, uh, we see some. Uh, are the, many of these sites are the precise sites where we see uh, narratives being produced about Virupaksha. So we have sites like Sri Shailam, Maharashtra, Odisha, Kadali or Kadri, and the Konkan. So we had Kandali in one text, Tibetan text. We had Konkuna in another Tibetan text, and of course. Kadali and the Konkan are important sites of, of Virupaksha narrative production. So from Maharashtra, we have these two Mahaanubhav texts, the Lila Charitra and the Sutrapata. Now, we don't see the incest motif in this text, but we see this. Um, he is said to be a great teacher of the Natpant. We see him destroying the Lingam at Draksharama. He meets Goraksha on his way to Somanatha and Saurashtra, which are exactly like in the Tibetan narratives. There's the scene of this competition with Goraksha, where um, a, a Goraksha's body is uh, hit with a sword, but the sword is sort of passes through it, where is when uh, Virupaksha's body is hit with a sword, it's hard. And there's this association between this kind of pun on the Vajrakaya and the Vajraoli Virupaksha is coming from the Vajra tradition and his body being hard, whereas um, uh, Goraknath's um, sort of body is not hard and is said to be better. Uh, and so because of this scene, Goraksha initiates him at, under the name Adandinat, which Dandi meaning firm. So, so meaning like, oh, after being uh, uh, initiated by Goraksha, He's no longer firm in that inferior way, but this could also be a sort of double entendre as Dandi can mean haughty or even sexually aroused. So Mallinson has pointed to this Vajraoli Amaroli connection also maybe referring not just to the Vajra and Shaiva um, uh, associations, but also the um, celibate and non-celibate version. He tames kings, um, etc. In, the, in another South Asian text, this one from Sri Shailam, that is the Navnata Charitramu, um, he's counted among the Navnatas, the Nine Nats. He's born in Maharashtra. He eats a bird's heart that grants siddhahood. Here's that bird eating motif again. A heavenly voice confirms his life story to Minanata and explains that in a previous life, Virupaksha was a Brahmin that committed incest and drowned himself in the Ganga to cleanse his sins. So here we see this incest motif again, um, and he becomes a disciple 
of Virupacha. Also, this text directly uh, attributes um, a text, uh, uh, is the, it says that Virupacha is the author of a text called the Amritagnya Siddhi, which um, assumably is the Amrita Siddhi. Now, among the new text that I would like to um, bring to the fore tonight uh, that is not listed on Mallinson's list is the Gorek Samhita. This is a Odia uh, or old Odia text found uh, published in Bansa Siddhar Mohanty's work, um, the, uh, the Not um, Literature and Tradition of Odisha. So in this case, the tale is narrated by Chalandara, a.k.a. Hardipa. Um, there, he, it's prophesied that Virupaksha will commit these great sins, um, and it goes on to be true. So in order to propitiate, or in order to cleanse his sins, he propitiates Shiva. Shiva sends him to the mountains of Nepal to meet Gorek, who initiates him with the name Virupaksha because he's said to be born from a Brahmin mother and a Shudra father. Uh, he has a god. Uh, he travels all around and has a vision of the goddess Hengula. Um, or Hengulimata and receives a Brahmadanda and a Vajra hat from Brahma and Indra. This, this notion of this hat is kind of interesting. It also comes up in Taranatha's um, seven uh, transmission lineage texts, this idea that he has a hat or a, a Vajra topi. I'm not exactly sure, but it, it, it sort of seems to be a common theme. He's told that he will break idols merely by bowing to them. Again, this seems to be a, a similar a similarity with this idea of breaking the lingam at Draksharama by prostrating. Uh, we have this extensive travel motif and many of the places that he's said to visit are again are also similar to those in other Tibetan versions. Um, and importantly, he rejoins Gorek and Machindra in Kadali Kshetra. Um, this is again that same place Kandali that we saw or Konkuna in the Tibetan text. Uh, the Brahmins rebuke and expel him from Jajpur for drinking alcohol. Again, this alcohol drinking motif. And he reverses a river again. Instead of the Ganga, this time we have the Baitran which is in Odisha. Um, I, would, I would like to say that these Odia texts and Odia liter in general, general uh, requires or demands or warrants much, much more attention uh, within South Asian studies. So please, please, please study Odia. <laughs> now, another text that I would, that is not on uh, Mallinson's list of known uh, non-Buddhist Virupa or Virupaksha texts is a number of Virupa or Virupaksha narratives from Nepal. These ones are quite striking because they bear a lot of resemblance to the tradition that we see in the Tibetan version with the Somapuri thing. So I've even had Tibetans here in Nepal say that actually the place where Virupa broke the lingam and then dissolves into a, dissolves into a stone image is actually not at Somanatha and Saurashtra, but is actually here at Pashupati Nath. So in these, in these Nepali versions, which are contained in a number of Vamshavalis, also a text called the Virupaksha Tirtha Yatra, which attributes itself to the Himavatkanda of the Skandu Purana, as well as um, uh, a Newa text called the uh, Virupaksha Katha, similar to the Virupaksha Vikata that we saw from Shariputra. So in this, again, we have this prophecy that he will create commit great sin, including incest, which he does. He first propitiates Shiva for expiation, but Shiva's advice nearly kills him. So he then goes on to find a monk or the Buddha or Avalokiteshvara in different versions who tells him to recite a mantra until his rosary breaks. He does so, but multiple times throws his rosary down in discouragement because he's not having signs of accomplishment. But each time a vision re-inspires him, again, very akin to the Tibetan story. 
stories. Finally, he achieves cities, and with his newfound powers, he grows around breaking lingams all over the place in retaliation for the bad advice that he received from Shiva. Again, the linga-breaking motif. Uh, he goes to break the linga at Pashupatinath, but Shiva seeks Avalokiteshwara's protection. Avalokiteshwara gives Shiva his five Buddha crown, and when Pashupatinath, Shiva's Pashupatinath puts on the crown when Virupa gets there, instead of seeing Shiva as Shiva, Virupa sees him as Avalokiteshvara because he's wearing Avalokiteshvara's crown and worships him in that. Uh, I would like to say that actually this story of, of uh, Virupa scaring Shiva into taking refuge in Avalokiteshvara is the source of a number of, of religious holidays and festivals here in Kathmandu, including the Mukashtami and the uh, Luka Mahadya, sorry, Newa speakers, I'm butchering that. Um, and here he's associated with the Upashada Vrata and Amogapasha Avalokiteshvara, very much like the association with this Elapatra figure being associated with Amogapasha as well. Um, and finally, in, the in these Nepali versions, he stops the sun in order to continue worshiping, eating, and drinking at Pashupatinath. So we see a number of similar, uh, similar um, motifs. And finally, he's said to reside or dissolve into a stone image at Pashupatinath, it, very similar to the story at Somanata. Uh, this image that we have here is actually the Virupaksha statue at Pashupatinath. Finally, the last South Asian text that I'd like to talk about is the Sri Kadali Manjunata Mahatmya. So remember all of those references to Kandali, Kadali, and the Konkana? Well, here we have another Virupaksha tale coming out of the related to the Kadali or Kadri Manjunat temple in Mangalore, which, of course, uh, as Malins and a number of their scholars have pointed out, was a Buddhist vihara turned Buddhist, uh, sorry, turned not temple, turned Vaishnava temple. So in this text, this is sort of the most orthodox Brahmanical of the of the South Asian Virupa text. Um, he's counted among the Navnatas in this particular text. He's born a perfect three-eyed Brahmin, which is in Karahatapur or Karad in Maharashtra. He takes refuge in the great goddess in the form of Karahatapureshwari. Uh, Narada appears and gives a prophecy. In, in this case, instead of incest, <laughs> he says that he gives a prophecy that'll be a he'll tame people using magical illusions. Um, um, he's frequently referred to as the Lord of the Konkan. I'd like to say an aside there might be interesting because there's a number of Tamil texts that talk about a figure called the Konkana Siddha. And this may, of course, be Virupaksha, but of course could be a number of other Siddhas associated with the Konkan. But the fact that in this text, he's called the Lord of the Konkan, he is the Konkananath, could be a, um, a, a hint there. We see uh, the extensive travel motif. He goes to Sri Shailam, Himavat, Kalinga, uh, the land in the Indra direction, which is a similar motif from the Tibetan text going in the in the direction of Indra, Draksharama, Kanchi, etc. He carries a skull cup filled with moon nectar. He tames demons. At Draksharama, instead of splitting the linga, because for a sort of orthodox Brahmanical text, splitting the linga might be just a little bit too extreme. So instead, he rebukes the Brahmins there as not being Brahmin enough or not being correct Brahmins. This is the sort of the Brahmin double kind of the good Brahmin, bad Brahmin situation. Uh, he takes the form of an avadut there and admonishes the Brahmins and causes as a cat to recite the Vedas to show that look just reciting the Vedas enough isn't enough to you know be considered a good Brahmin you got to do all the other the other good stuff too uh, and there's also this alcohol and women cavorting with women motifs um, instead of stopping the sun in the sky Mallinson has pointed out the similarity uh, here where he grabs the moon in order to use it as a cup to sort of um, uh, impress uh, a particular lady that he's interested in so 
We can now see, of course, looking at this sort of broad narratological comparison that, that, that many of the, the details from, from the Tibet, Nepal, and across South Asia contain many of the same kinds of scenes, themes, motifs, etc. So now, with that in mind, now that we can say Virupa is Virupaksha, right, at least as a literary character, in that case, I want to shift uh, gears and towards the end here and problematize this notion of the knot canon. So Munoz presents this idea of the threefold knot canon as being, co being constituted of Hatha Yoga treatises in Sanskrit, poetry in vernacular languages, and hagiographical narratives. However, recently scholars like Jamal Jones, who happens to be one of my um, advisors, shout out to Jamal, uh, it, he um, has challenged the idea of what should actually be called not literature, as many of the narratives about not siddhas are not written by or for knots. We have Mahabhanubhavs and Varkaris in Maharashtra, we have Virashaivas in Sri Shailam, we have so-called Bodha Vaishnavas in Odisha, we have Sikh Sants and Ishmailis uh, across North India and of course the Buddhas in Nepal and Tibet who are all writing about knots or um, ostensibly knots. So the question of can we really call something a knot text just because it contains or was written by or written for or mentions knots, right? It's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Even though still the above three categories, the, the threefold knot canon, those categories perfectly are perfectly mirrored in the case of Virupa literature uh, in that we have Virupa texts like the Amrita City, which are, uh, and, and sadhanas on deity yoga, which are sort of um, practice manuals. We have Dohas and Charigitis in vernacular languages. We also have the number of hagiographic texts that we've looked at. However, um, the, the only issue here is that uh, only a few texts uh, in the Virupa corpus can really be called not texts. So even though it fits the threefold part, the not canon part is a little bit tricky. As such, this sectarian model of a not canon risks perpetuating the kinds of habitual underappreciation of Buddhist and Tibetan sources that has characterized much of the relevant research. I'm near completion here. I assume we're probably getting close on time. Uh, problematizing the knot canon just a little bit further, um, the, the sectarian parameters determining what and not even is in the first place are fluid, contested, ever-shifting, and highly localized region by region. For instance, there are reports of Buddhist knots or not self-identifying as Buddhists well into the early period attested in the works of Tibetans like Drikung Rinchen Punsak, Taksang Repa, Kunga Drochuk, Taranata, and others. Unfortunately, the, the few Tibetologists who do discuss such so-called Buddhist knots usually dismiss them outright, often portraying them as opportunistic charlatans intent on duping ignorant Tibetans. Even David Templeman, who's been extremely helpful for my own research uh, who, and who has written extensively on late Buddhist knots, tends to characterize them as these sort of dubious pseudo-Buddhists who bring nothing new to the Buddhist fold. But I argue that the very existence of knots claiming to be Buddhist and producing Buddhist literature that contains reference and, and uh, meditation manuals on Buddhist deities like Buddha Kapala um, well into the early modern period is in 
itself definitely, very definitely something new and a novel contribution and, and warrants further, uh, further analysis. Um, for a more thorough rebuttal of such dismissals of these Buddhist knots, I would like to refer you to McKeown's um, 2018 book, Guardian of a Dying Flame, which is uh, from where I found the Shariputra uh, Virupa Virupaksha text. Uh, he does a very good job in his introduction of refuting some of these dismissals of Buddhist knots. Um, so in contrast to this idea of the threefold knot canon, I'd like to end by making the case for the idea of an Indo-Tibetan Siddha corpus. So if many of the stories about knot Siddhas were not written by or for knots, if what constitutes a knot is so utterly fluid in the first place, and if the concept of a sectarian knot canon risks further perpetuating the underappreciation of valuable knot and sitter literature outside those imagined sectarian boundaries, then an alternative category is obviously and sorely needed. I propose the model of an Indo-Tibetan Siddha corpus. By shifting the emphasis away from the sectarian affiliation, that is this word not, and towards the more shared notion of the Siddha in this way, such a model, I argue, is more accommodating of the diverse cross-sectarian and dialogic nature of this literature. Um, I sort of, so I sort of started with a, a call to arms for Tibetologists to engage more actively with yoga studies. So what does this whole narratological rigmarole have to do with yoga studies then, right? We've really just been talking so much about hagiographies and narrative literature. Well, assessing the place of narrative literature in this sort of sharing substratum versus borrowing debate um, about Buddhist uh, Hindu exchange and uh, following scholars like Appleton, this, this idea that narrative literature creates a shared dialogic space, perhaps we can all even call it something like a shared substratum, that challenges the staunchly sectarian basis of strict, the strictly of the strict borrowing model. Um, I also sort of uh, want to investigate how the dialogic nature of narrative literature allows characters and stories to cross sectarian boundaries uh, and investigating this helps us to better understand how the practices and deities associated with those characters, in this case, Hatha Yoga, do the same. In other words, studying and investigating the way that Virupa and Virupacha stories transcend and cross these kind of sectarian boundaries also shines a light on some of the same ways that, that the practices associated with them, in this case, Hatha Yoga, also cross those same boundaries. The place of Virupa narrative production, as I said before, Tibet, Nepal, East India, Sri, Sri Shailam, Kadri, Mangalore, tend to be the same key sites of Hatha Yoga propagation and Buddhist Hindu exchange. So with that, I would like to start end by saying thank you and open it up to questions. <laughs>